So uh, that, that being said, let me transition us a little bit here. So last week we started a new series uh, called Citizen, and we're looking at God and politics. And we said, man, this is, this is like one of those combustible conversations. It was funny how many people I said had come up to me beforehand last week. They're like, wow, you, you sure you want to tackle this, God and politics, right? Uh, I posted, a, I shared this last week, I posted a little Facebook question. Um, I, I said something to the effect of describe your feelings, one or two words, describe your personal feelings with politics. And these are some of the things you guys said. Cornered, these are, these are, these are one or two word answers. Cornered, helpless, Lies, concern, corruption, moral bankruptcy, uncivil, greed, nonsense, polarizing, goat rodeo. I still don't know what that means. <laughs> Ugh, yeah. Like these, are, these are the things that we're feeling right now, and many of us are feeling right now, as we talk about the political system. And we said, like, what do we do? You know, what, what, what do we do? As thoughtful Christians, how do we respond to everything going on right now with these campaigns, uh, knowing that voting is coming up soon? What should it look like for us to live as Christians in the political landscape that we find ourselves in right now? And, and if you're a guest tonight, or uh, maybe you sit here and you're like, you know, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't describe myself as a Christian. I'm, I'm curious about this. I'm interested. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to understand if all of this stuff that you talk about with Jesus and the Bible and spirituality, I'm trying to figure out if it's true. If that, if that describes you tonight, I want to say just a couple things. I want to address you in two ways. First of all, I'm so glad you're here. Like, you're safe. Like, this is a safe place where you can have questions. You can have concerns. You can have um, things that don't make sense. Like, we all have that at some level. Okay, so I'm glad you're here. I want you to be comfortable. I don't just say that because it's the right thing to say from the stage. We really mean that. The second thing, um, you're going to kind of be listening in on a family discussion tonight. So we're going to be talking about what it looks like for us as Christians to, to uh, not just be citizens of the kingdom of God, but also be citizens of the United States. And so we're going to kind of specifically address us as Christians, as followers of Christ tonight. But I'm hopeful that if you're here and you're sort of investigating all this, that it will still be helpful for you as well. And I want to say a couple more things, a couple quick caveats. I said this last week, probably good for me to say again. Um, I, I'm no political expert, right? Like, I'm not a political analyst. I try to stay current on kind of what's going on in the government and the debates and, you know, the videos and all that sort of stuff. I, I try to stay current on all that. But I'm not a political scientist. And that's actually not the purpose of this series. That's not the purpose of tonight. Second thing I want to say is let's leave our bipartisan partisan political preferences at the door. Right, I joked last week, I said, let's check our donkeys and our elephants at the door with the ushers. Right? Let's just kind of leave that there. Um, you don't have to be uh, a Republican to be a Christian. You don't have to be a Democrat to be a Christian. Um, I'm not going to tell you how to vote tonight. I don't feel like that's my job. Uh, you guys are smart people. I'm not going to endorse a political candidate. Right? That's not the purpose of what we're doing here tonight. Um, and then the last thing I want to say this is, again, this is like religion and politics are the two most combustible things we could talk about, right? Like, it's, it could be dangerous. And so let me say this. We got to be gracious to each other. So there may be some things that I say tonight where you go, I don't know if I agree with you, Jeff. That's okay. Like, let's just agree to love each other. Let's agree to be gracious to each other. And let's agree to be humble. Can we do that? Okay, nod your head. I want everybody to agree. Yeah? All right. Thank you. 
Okay, so last week um, we said, boy, the Bible actually has a lot to say about how to live as Christians in a country and under a government that's not Christian. In fact, when you look at the governmental system, the societal system that Jesus and his early followers lived in, it looks like ours looks like paradise compared to that. A lot of times we can look at our government and our political system and go, man, it's so terrible. Like it's so, it's so corrupt. It's so whatever. But guys, compared to the political environment that Jesus and, and the early Christians lived in, this is like paradise. We'll talk a little bit about maybe why we feel such angst uh, a little bit later. Um, but here's what I want you to do. You, I want you to flip open in a, in a Bible to Mark chapter 12. So maybe you use your phone or tablet or whatever. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we got a whole table full of them back here. If you raise your hand, we got ushers ready to go. They'll hand it to you. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, keep that Bible. Um, sometimes, uh, I don't know, we, just, we don't have that or we have a version that doesn't make sense to us. Keep that. We'd love for you to have that as a gift to you. Um, last week, I gave you a bunch of background. I gave you a bunch of context and what was happening. We're kind of going to jump in to a middle of a passage here, and I gave you a lot of context. I'm not going to uh, repeat all that. I encourage you, if you missed it, to check that out online. But basically, what's happening here is you have two groups of people that didn't like each other, okay? The Pharisees and the Herodians. They were, they were actually like enemies of each other. Okay, but now they had this common enemy in Jesus. So it's like this classic case of the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? You have these two groups that are enemies, and they're coming together because they have this common enemy in Jesus. And so you have the Pharisees, which when I think of the Pharisees, I, I, I call them super Jews. They're like the super religious people. Pharisee actually means separate. That's what the word means. So these are the people that are the most uh, uh, adherent to the Mosaic law. That's who they are. And they hated Rome. Rome was kind of the world power who was... Was oppressing Israel at the time. They hated Rome. They were the super religious. So you had this group called the Pharisees. Then you have this other group called the Herodians. I think of them, I think of the traitors. So these are another uh, Jewish group of people that actually supported Rome. So the, the, the king ruler that Rome had placed over Israel at that time was a guy named Herod. So that's where their name Herodians come from. Okay, So they were the supporters of Rome. Think of them as the traitors. So you have the super Jews and you have the traitors, right? And so they come together, they collaborate in order to try to discredit Jesus. And they do it by asking him a really interesting question. They say, is it right for us to pay this tax? It's called the imperial tax or the poll tax that basically what it did was it was required of just Jewish men, not Roman citizens, just Jewish men. And what it did was it basically paid for the Roman troops that ruled over them. So they hated the Romans ruling over them. And they actually had to pay the troops to do it with this tax. And so they hated this tax. And so they bring this question to Jesus. They say, Jesus, should we pay this disgusting tax that Rome makes us pay for them to oppress us? Is it right for us to do that? Let's, let's actually look at it together. This is, this is Matthew 12, and we're going to pick up in verse 13. So this is what it says. Later they sent some Pharisees and some Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. And they came to him and they said, teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. He's, he's kind of, they're buttering him up, right? But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And then they ask him a question. They say, is it right to pay the imperial, imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Now, put yourself in Jesus' shoes. If he answers, yes, you should pay, then what happens? Pharisees, they run back and they tell the Jews, he's a traitor. He's, he's supporting the Roman government, right? He is, Jesus is no friend to the Jews. He's telling us to pay this tax, right? 
If Jesus answers, no, you shouldn't pay it, then what happens? The Herodians run and they tell the Romans, they say, this guy, Jesus, he's starting a rebellion. He's telling people, don't you dare pay that tax, right? Like he's in trouble either way. He answers yes, he's in trouble with one group of people. He answers no, he's in trouble with another group of people. But Jesus knows what they're doing. I love it. Like he knows exactly what they're doing. He knows they're trying to butter him up at the beginning, right? And he says to them, he says, why are you trying to do this to me? He says, bring, bring me a coin. Bring me, bring me a denarius. That was, that's what it cost to pay this tax. It's about a, a day's wages, okay? Bring me a denarius. And he says, whose image is on there? Whose inscription's on there? And they go, Caesar's. And he says, well then, give back to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. And it says, everybody's amazed, right? And so last week, we spent our time and we looked at Jesus' amazing answer. I mean, it's, it's an amazing answer, Right? loaded with implications for us. And we looked at the first part of that answer, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. And basically, I'll be quick here, but basically we said a few things. First of all, what that means, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. First off, it means Christians should be good citizens. Christians should be good citizens. Our government provides a lot for us, and we should do what our government requires as long as it isn't in direct opposition to what God calls us to do. Now, does that mean that we agree with everything that our government does? No. I joked last week, I said, I support myself. I don't even agree with everything that I do, right? It doesn't mean that we agree with everything that the government does, but what we believe is that our government is established by God. Our government is established by God. And we looked at some passages in the Bible that talked about that over and over again. He, God, put Reagan in office. He put Bush in office. He put Clinton in office. He put the other Bush in office. He put Obama in office. And he's going to put either Trump or Hillary in the office as well. Will they do exactly what he wants them to do? Will they make all their decisions to please him? No, they won't. Neither do I, by the way. Right? And neither do you. But the world isn't going to fly out of control if Hillary wins. And the world's not going to fly out of control if Donald wins either. He'll use them as he wishes to lead and govern our country, each in their own flawed, imperfect ways. God establishes our government. We've got to trust him in that. And we ended our time answering uh, in just a few ways how you and I are to be good citizens. Like, what does that look like for us? How are we to be good citizens? The first thing we said is that Christians should lead the way in showing respect to our leaders. We We should lead the way in showing respect to our leaders. There is so much disrespect all over the place right now, right? For our current president and for whatever future president. It is all over the place. And if we're not careful, we can be just like everyone else. And we're not. We're not like everyone else. Or at least we shouldn't be. We need to be people that show respect to our leaders. This is an important statement. Listen. We need to be people that show respect to our leaders even when they don't act in respect-worthy ways. We still show them respect. Yeah. Second thing we said is that Christians should lead the way in praying for our leaders. We could be really quick to criticize, to ridicule, to make fun of, to show disrespect to our governmental leaders, right? But man, we should be really quick to pray for them. It's a hard job. Leading our country is a hard, hard job. And when we pray for our leaders, when we're frustrated and we give those frustrations to the Lord and we pray to the Lord, it changes us too. It gives us a different perspective. So I said, we need to be people that pray for our leaders. Third thing we said is that we should work for the good of their country. Christians should work for the good of their city slash country. 
We don't create our own private little worlds. We can be really good at that with Christians. We can insulate ourselves. We can separate ourselves. We can isolate ourselves, create our own little worlds to live in instead of making a difference in the world that God has put us in, right? He calls us to be salt. In order for salt to be effective, it's got to be rubbed into the meat, right? To slow down decay. In order for, he calls us light. In order for light to be effective, it's got to be out, illumining the darkness, not shut up in its safe little box, right? And so he said, what does it look like for you to work for the good of your city? What does it look like for you to work for the good of your country? He said, I think that's what God means. We're called to be good citizens who trust that God establishes our leaders. We're to give them respect. We're to pray for them. We're to work for the good of our city. I think that's at least part of what it means to give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. So that was last week. How about the second part of that? Give back to God what is God's. See, just as Caesar's image and inscription was all over the coins back then, and they had a responsibility to be good citizens and to give him what he's due, God's fingerprints are all over creation, right? They're all over all of creation, and we have a responsibility to give him what he's due as well. So what's God do from us? D-U-E. What is he, what, what, what do we owe him? Think about that. Everything, right? Everything. Hey, here, here's our first point, ready? Christians, it's a really simple point. Christians owe God everything. Christians owe God everything. And I want you to begin to think, like that's a big, broad, open statement. We're going to narrow it down here in a second. But I want you to begin thinking about what that means for you personally. Christians owe God everything. One thing that we believe as Christians is that God created, owns, sustains, rules over everything, right? The Bible says things like this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's Genesis 1.1. It says things like this, Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, right? It says things like this. This is Colossians 1. For in him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. It goes on, it says, in, it, in everything he might have supremacy. See, Caesar's all over the coins, but the Lord is all over creation, Right? all of creation. He made everything. He provides everything. And what we owe him is everything. Now, that's a statement that taken, that's true, but taken by itself, if we, if we miss kind of a second part, which I'm going to get to here a little bit later, taken by itself can kind of mess up our theology a little bit. If that's just what we live by, I owe God everything, that can mess with us. And we can get a lot of things out of whack. So hold on to that part. I'm going to come back and I'm going to add to it later, more toward the end, okay? God we, uh, created everything and we owe him everything. I remember when I was in like, I don't know, I think it was eighth or ninth grade. I had a friend named Kevin. He's still a friend today, a great guy. And uh, we were uh, in literature class, and we started to have to, like, read the classics, you know, like the classic novels. And I, I hated to read. Like, I prided myself. I think I went all the way through high school without ever reading a complete book. 
and, and parents, my, both my, te- my parents are teachers, right? I prided myself in that. And so, uh, you know, and, and so we had to read these books, and then we were going to take, we had to take a test on them or write a paper on them or something like that. And so I was all about doing the absolute minimum I could do back then to get a B. Like, you know, parents, teachers, you can really get lower than a B. You start getting lower than a B, they start asking too many questions, you know? But I was all about doing the minimum that I could do to get a B. If I got an A, it was like gravy, you know? But if I could do just the minimum to get a B, I was satisfied with that. So I, I, I thought with these, you know, with these books, these classics, they're usually really long. And I'm like, man, listen, I don't think I need to read the whole thing. Like, if I just, just kind of get the big picture of the story and know a little bit about the plot line and some of the main characters, I should be fine, right? So my friend Kevin, his parents, uh, they had a bunch of kids. He's got a bunch of brothers and sisters. And at some point, they bought, like, these um, little comic book versions of the classics. So they're, they're, I, think this is, I think this is them. They're called class, the Classics Illustrated. It's like sports. Illustrated for nerds, right? No, just kidding. That's terrible. It's like <laughs> the classics illustrated, and what they were is they're like fifty-page comic book versions of the classics. You know, so you have like Huckleberry Finn and War of the Worlds and Wuthering Heights and Great Expectations and like all of these classic novels, right? So of course, me and a bunch of my lazy friends, we all started reading these comic book versions instead of the actual versions of the book, and it was amazing. It was like all of a sudden I didn't have to spend all my time doing homework at night. Like I could focus on the important things, like playing basketball in my driveway and talking about girls and all that sort of stuff, right? It was amazing. Until we actually had to take the test or write the paper or whatever it is we did, and I got the grade back on it. And strangely enough, we didn't do very good, (laughs) right? And we're like, huh, I guess probably should have read the actual version of the book, right? See, we went to the wrong thing. We, we put our hope in the wrong thing. We gave ourselves to an inferior thing. And guys, sometimes we can do this with Caesar and God. Maybe you want to write this down. Sometimes we give to Caesar what is God's. So think about that. Sometimes we give to Caesar what is God's. And here's what I mean by that. I look to the government and my political leaders for what I should be looking to God for. You ever see this? Right? It's, easy, it's easier to spot in other people. Right? I think this is why so many of us are overly frustrated, in my opinion, with our government. And we're let down. We feel like we're let down time and time again because we're expecting them to be like God. We're expecting them to do things that only God can do. Guys, do you know how many times over the past eight years I've heard Christians, Christians say things like, man, Obama's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah, he's a Muslim, you know. I, I think he's the Antichrist. I'm like, Antichrist? Really? Or, or more recently with Trump, you know, I, Trump is evil incarnate. I think, I think those are the exact words that I heard somebody say to me. He is evil incarnate. And I'm like, Evil incarnate? Really? You think that? I, I went to our building, the new building, the other day, 
and John was there. I walked up, and John was there, and he was talking to somebody who wanted to give us um, these, I guess, these voters' guides to give, to hand out to all of our people that told them how to vote, apparently told them how to vote. And so John's talking to this guy. I didn't know who he was. And I walked up. I want to be friendly. I walked up. And literally, like, I'm walking right up to him, and I'm, I'm starting to put my hand out, and I hear him say something to the effect of, yes, if Hillary Clinton is elected president, our country's going to fall apart. And I was like... <laughs> right? I just kept on walking. Like, thanks, John. Enjoy that conversation, right? Come on, guys. Listen. We, we got to stop doing that stuff. It's embarrassing. Obama is not the Antichrist. Trump is not Satan himself. The world is not going to fall apart if Hillary Clinton gets elected. They're just flawed, imperfect human beings like you and like me. See, we can't look to our government to provide for us really what only God can provide. We can't, we can't push our citizenship of the United States of America in the forefront and push our citizenship as, uh, as citizens of the kingdom of God deep in the background. We can't do that. When we do that, we, things get out of whack. Things get messed up. Let me give you some examples of what this looks like. I've seen all of these things let me give you some examples here. I look to the government to provide for my needs. I look to the government to provide for my needs, right? Now, listen, the government is set up to help meet some of our needs, right? It's, we said this last week. We said it's God's agent to provide order, protection, and peace. That's the purpose of the government. But listen, we miss something when we look too much at the government to provide for our needs. Why? Because there's a God in the universe who's powerful, and he loves you. And everything is his, right? Everything is his. And he wants to pull you in as his child and protect you and take care of you and provide for all of your needs, right? I, I love this psalm. Psalm 50, verse 10 says, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I love saying that. Cattle on a thousand hills are his. What's that mean? It means he owns everything. It means God owns everything, Right? Like, why do we look to an inferior thing, the government, to meet all of our needs when we got the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, who owns everything, who wants to listen to us? He's like, I love you. I want to provide for your needs. I, I love this passage in Matthew 6. This is Jesus talking. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not your life more than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, he says. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, are you not much more valuable than they? Right? Like, why would we depend on anyone or anything else? We have the God of the universe who says, you're valuable to me. Uh, I will provide for your needs. Depend on me, Right? How about this? I look to the government to bring justice and righteousness and morality. Well, listen, the government is set up to uphold justice. The government is set up, it's designed to maintain that which is right. It's designed to uphold a certain level of morality. But guys, in our world, even, even in our own hearts, justice and righteousness and morality are often defined inconsistently right? Especially in our world, defined inconsistently. And that can frustrate us. But listen, God is absolutely just, right? 
He's completely righteous. He defines morality. Sometimes Caesar, our government, gets it right. Sometimes they get it wrong. But we have a king, our God, who never gets it wrong. And he doesn't ever change. He doesn't ever change his definition of justice and righteousness and morality. So we should look to him for those things, right? How about this one? I look to the government for godly leadership. We do this. this is, we do this subtly, guys, as Christians. We look to the government for godly leadership. Listen, we're not a Christian nation. We're not a Christian nation. We need to quit acting like we are. We're set up. Our, our, our nation is set up so that the church and the state are separated. We're not a theocracy. We're not a nation that's committed to God's leadership. That's not who we are. We're a secular nation with lots of freedom. That, that's what we are. And most of our leaders don't have a relationship with Jesus. They don't. So we shouldn't expect them to act like Christians. Right? This is, this is really important. We talked about this last Christmas when we were talking about red cups and stuff. Like, we shouldn't expect our non-Christian world to act like Christian. That's not, that's not fair. Right? But we have a leader in Jesus who is as godly as it gets. Right? He is God himself. And he's ultimately the one who's leading our nation. And we can look up to him. And we can model our lives after him. And we can live our lives for him. So, as citizens of the kingdom of God, can I challenge you to, to a few things? Like when we think about giving to God what he's due, right? D-U-E. Give to God what's God's. When we think about that, can I challenge you to a few things that I think will, will maybe calm us down a little bit? And, and maybe give us a little bit different perspective as we navigate this political landscape that's just crazy right now, right? It's just crazy. Let me, let me give you a few challenges. Here's the first one. I will give God my present concerns. This is my challenge to you. Can, can you say this? I will give God my present concerns. Guys, listen, when you start feeling frustrated and stressed and angry and hopeless in our political landscape, instead of going on Facebook or Twitter and ranting or vomiting your discontent all over your family and friends, can we just simply tell God what we're feeling? Right? Like can, can, can we just bring our concerns to him? He'll help us with them. This is what it says in Psalm 55. Cast your cares on the Lord and he'll sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. That's a, that's a great promise. How about this? First Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Listen, this is so important. He wants to comfort us, right? Like he, he wants to give us perspective. He wants to calm us down. He wants to ease our mind. But we've got to go to him. We gotta take our, our present concerns to him. We're not like everyone else. We don't just spin around in our frustration, in our angst, in our concern. I think, guys, we gotta commit to when we're feeling that way, let me just go to God. Let, let me tell him how I'm feeling instead of getting so frustrated, right? How about this? I will give God my future hopes. Second challenge. I'll give God my future hopes. When you look forward at the hopes that you have, the dreams that you have, you know, the desires, the plans for your future, don't look primarily to Caesar. 
Don't look primarily to our government or our, our political leader's tax plan or their, their college tuition stipend or something like that to help you realize your plans. Don't do that. Like we can give God our future hopes. He, he, some of you need to hear this tonight. He has plans for you, you know. Like he, he has plans for your life. He has things in mind for you to do. And he has the power to bring those things about. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes he does things that we that understand that we're like, yes, this is what I wanted, this is what I asked for. And then sometimes he does things differently, but he never lets us down. This is what it says in Jeremiah 29, 11, the very beginning of it. God's talking to Israel and he says, I know the plans I have for you. And then he goes on and he tells the plans that he has for Israel. We could apply that to us too, guys. He has plans for you and me, just like he has planned, he had plans for them. How about this? This is Psalm 16, 9. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps, right? Psalm 37, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he won't fall. The Lord upholds him with his hand. I love this one. This is Romans 8, 28. For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Even in the hard things, he works for our good, right? We can trust him with our future. How about this one, last one? Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who's able, this is, this is the God that we can go to with our future, that we can trust with our future. To him who's able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Like you can trust your future to him. We don't, we don't have to look to our government. There's things that are, like our government's fine. There's things that they provide that are really good and helpful, right? But we got a God of the universe. The cattle on a thousand hills are his. He orders our steps. Like we can go to him with our future. Last thing, third thing, hardest thing. Here's my challenge. I will give God myself. I will give God myself. Guys, can I, can I just challenge you tonight to give God your entire selves? Ultimately, this is what God means. You know, when he says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, give back to God what is God's, he means, yeah, we give our government, we owe our government taxes, we owe them respect, we owe them prayer, right, and all that. But I think what Jesus is saying is, we need to give our entire selves to God. That's what he desires, and that's what he deserves. Now listen, this is, this is like the second part to my earlier statement. Remember my earlier statement? We owe, our, we owe God everything. We owe our entire selves to God. That's true. But listen, this is so important. The why is so important. Not to like pay him back. Not to like earn something from him. Not so that he'll be pleased with us. Not to satisfy our anger. I willingly joyfully, excitedly give him everything that I have, everything that I am. Why? Because I'm already accepted by him. I'm, he already has accepted me. He already loves me more than I could ever imagine. And the more I realize that, the more I realize how accepted I am by him, how loved I am by him, the more willing I am to turn my life over to him, to give him my everything. If you struggle with that in your life, you need, to, you need to think about more how much Jesus loves you. 
I'm not trying to earn something from God. I'm joyfully trying to give him my everything because he's given me his everything, right? Guys, listen, Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus died on the cross for me. You know why? He loves you. This is is revolutionary. Absolutely, completely, totally loves you even though he knows everything about you. He knows all those secret things. He knows all your mistakes, all your bad decisions, all the things that you just thought about that you didn't actually do. He knows it all. And he still loves you. And he died on the cross to take your penalty. He died on the cross to take your punishment. That's grace. It's the most amazing thing in the world. Instead of getting the punishment that I deserve, I get the reward that he deserves. Guys, that, that changes everything. But, but here's the thing. We have to accept it. Like We have to receive it, right? And the way that we receive it is we go, oh my goodness, I recognize that the God of the universe loves me. He died for me. In whatever direction I'm going with my life, I stop and I go, I'm going to follow him, right? I'm with him. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to trust that what he says is true, that through his death on the cross, I can be forgiven. I no longer have the weight of my sin hanging over me anymore, right? Jesus, I trust you. I trust what you said is true, What you've done for me is amazing, and I want to stop living for myself, and I want to start living for you. That's that's what it means to embrace it. It's not just some head knowledge. It's not just, you know, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. I don't want to go to hell, so I guess I'm a Christian. I I, I guess I accept the gift of Jesus. That's not what it's about. It's about going, man, he loves me. He forgives me. Wipes the slate clean. I'm going to walk with him. I'm with Jesus. And we get this relationship with him that lasts forever. And the rest of our lives, as we understand his love and we turn our lives over to him more and more, we get to know him better and better. That's Christianity. That's the faith. And that's the choice that each of us has to make. I was, I was looking out my window the other day and we got a little trampoline out there. And it's got, it's not a real big one, and it's got like the protective net, you know what I'm talking about? It's kind of high. I happened to look out, and I saw a little bird like stuck inside the trampoline. And, and it caught my attention, you know, because I was at the top of its open, right? And so this bird flew in, and it kept like flying out into the net. It's not that high, it's maybe eight feet, something like that. It kept flying into the net. And and so I I went and I got my phone. I thought this is going to be a great sermon illustration. I went and I got my phone. I'm like, I'm going to record this, right? And by the time I went out there, it had figured it out. At some some point, it had looked up, right? And saw that that's where its hope was. That's where freedom was. And I thought, man, that's me many times. Instead of looking up, my first inclination could be to look this way, horizontally, right? I'm looking for my way out. I'm looking for my hope this way. And guys, I think what God calls us to tonight, especially as we think about the political environment going on right now, it's not to look this way at our government, at a political candidate to give us hope and freedom and purpose and all of those things to meet our needs. It's not that. It's to look up. And then there's a God of the universe who's all-powerful, 
The cattle on a thousand hills are his. He wants to provide for my needs. It changes us, guys. It changes us. I think any discussion in church that talks about God and politics, we got to challenge each other to look a little bit less this way, horizontally, and a little bit more this way. It changes our perspective. It changes everything. So my final challenge to you tonight is let's not, let's not look to politics. Let's not look to our government or our president, our future president for hope. But let's look to our king for hope. I like how a guy named Shane Claiborne says it. I'll end with this. He said this. He said, enough donkeys and elephants. Long live the lamb. So here's what I want to do. We're going to throw up on the screen. Go to that next slide. We're going to throw up on the screen the, the verse that Jesus said. And I'm just going to pray for us. And I want, you, I want you to just pray this to God and ask him for understanding and what it looks like in your life. Allow him to, to just whisper to you maybe ways that you're not giving Caesar what he's due, right? Maybe that looks like respect. Maybe it looks like prayer. Maybe it looks like not working for the, not really doing anything for the good of the city. And I, and I want you to ask God maybe if there's ways that you're not giving to him what is his. And just, and just listen. I'll just lead us. It'll be quiet time. We'll turn the lights down as soon as I start praying. It'll be quiet time. I want you to just talk to God. And I just want you to ask him those things. So let's do that. Let's, let me lead us together.